We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. What a surreal, open-end, explorative work. We're going to find out where that elephant went today, coming up. I think my brain vanished after this one. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am the forgetful crypto. If you are new to these parts, we take some of the most important literature that have influenced even today's authors and take a conversational approach to discussing it. We want to thank our patrons that have made this possible and make sure you hit that subscribe button down below to join us on the journey. And as always, you start off with publication information. This is a little bit complicated today as smaller fragments of this story were published and then eventually it was published and translated by Jay Rubin in Playboy in 1992. I read it for the articles. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Haruki Murakami, one of the most infamous writers from Japan, newer author to us. We're just now kind of diving into this author's repertoire and Boy, has this been an exciting journey as we're kicking off with two short stories today, and then we're going to be jumping into Kafka on the Shore coming up next. Now, this short story was originally published in, like he said, a couple different things and even written as like, I think it was like an elephant steps on an empty can of Heineken. It was very fragmented and different. But it is coming to us today as the elephant vanishes, and we have come to it. Through this book right here, the Oxford Book of Japanese Short Stories, all month long, we are kind of exploring this uh, as well as into August. So please feel free to check that out if you want to join us on some of those discussions. Now, Haruki Murakami is an author that is well known for having both a surreal as well as a realistic approach to his literature. I I think this is an interesting story and actually one of his more well-known ones to kind of explore the, well, what's real, what's imaginary type of thing. And I think we as readers have to assign value to what's in this. I think if you're looking for that allegorical, what does this mean? And what exactly is the interpretation behind that? Well, I think there's more to literature than just that, especially with this story. 100% agree. And I appreciate that you have taught me so much about the ability to do that because my brain automatically always just goes to the symbolism, allegories, analysis. What does this mean? What is their point? And as we've learned in this journey doing this channel, so much of that isn't necessarily true in some people's writings. So what we are going to do is a quick plot recap to say what's happened in the story, get us all on the same page. And then we're going to jump into some of our discussion and analysis of what it could possibly mean. So for plot, I am going to rearrange this. We're told the story from an unnamed narrator who follows the story very closely. But we're in a Tokyo suburb, and a local zoo has closed down. All the animals had found homes at various zoos, except nobody wanted the elephant. Aww. My sister would. She loves elephants. So the town was saddled with this elephant in their closed zoo, and meanwhile, builders wanted to put up high-rise condos in the space where the old zoo was. But how could they get rid of the elephant? The town and builders came to a conclusion. The town would own the elephant and pay the keeper. 
and the builder would provide the land at no compensation. It sounds like a Scooby-Doo plot setup, does it not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Raggy. So there were dissensionists in the town, but eventually most of the town came to appreciate the animal. Their town was looked well upon for caring for it, and the children eventually wrote compositions about it. They had cleared a wooded area to house it and move an old-school gym and feed the elephant scraps to take care of it. <laughs> the retained zookeeper was elderly, but hard to tell exactly what his age was. And he knew the elephant well and could communicate with that elephant. Some would even say telepathically, as sometimes the elephant would do what the man wanted without the man saying anything. One day, the newspaper reported that the elephant has gone missing. It just dun, dun, dun. vanished. <laughs> All that's left behind was the shackle still fastened and the elephant room, which looked awkward without the elephant in it. The zookeeper had no key, and the police and fire station departments still had their key locked up. The bars around the elephant cage were ten feet tall, and there were no tracks for the elephant to have gotten out. He simply vanished. The town is in a tizzy, searching for the elephant with their hunting rifles and trackers. However, they found nothing, and soon the town lost interest. <laughs> now oh, later, well. the narrator, who's been following this story very closely, meets a woman. And he tells her about the elephant. And things got a little weird. He told her about <laughs> the they secret do. spot. <laughs> things continue to get weird. <laughs> he tells her about his secret spot where he can see the elephant. Or could see the elephant, I should say. The keeper and the elephant had shown affection for each other, he tells her. And then one night, when no one else was watching, their size difference shrank, where the elephant got smaller and the man got bigger till they were about the same size. And that's kind of the end of the story, I guess. It just it just kind of ends, I guess. The, the, yeah. the, the rest of the plot vanishes. Is this yeah. One well, he, <laughs> yeah, the end just says, and they were never seen again. <laughs> end plot. <laughs> The story, the, the ending vanished. The conclusion vanishes. And I think that could be frustrating for some people. Uh, but I think this is something that we can explore. Okay, let's let's talk about what, what are some things that we can assign value to and maybe ways that the story might make more sense to us when we break it down in this light. Please help me. So, so one thing to think about, too, is also that there's different communication styles between English and Japanese. In English, it's the speaker, the person who's doing the telling's responsibility to make sure the point gets across, right? That sounds fair, I guess, as English speakers. Yeah, we agree with that, right? Yes. But in Japan, it's actually the opposite, where it's the listener's responsibility. And I think this actually aligns perhaps even more closely with literature, where we're expecting to say one thing, but the listener to hear 10 things, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I get that. I guess knowing both of those pieces of information allows me to say, hey, I have to kind of meet somewhere in the middle for somebody that's not used to looking at it from that perspective of that it's my total responsibility. And sometimes it's what's not said that we have to kind of fill in. So let's kind of go through that exercise today. The narrator, what type of a person is he, Mr. Crypto? Very organized. Wakes up at a specific time, 6.13 a.m., you know, the, the elephant disappeared at May 17th, 7 p.m. Yes, everything is very structured. He is basically you. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm looking at my three-page notes on the story here. <laughs> I am one of those people who read the paper from beginning to end in order. 
<gasps> How dare you? You'll notice at the end of this story, there's actually several sentences talking about being pragmatic. It's important to be pragmatic. This isn't pragmatic. It's, it's things have to be structured a different way. Okay, so that's what's said. That's the one that's given to us. What's maybe the opposite of pragmatism? Yeah, I would say the opposite is somebody that, you know, is more artistic, uses their imagination, that sort of thing. And we see this guy kind of lacking that a little bit, right? He's having a hard time finding maybe the softer side of connecting with others. He has a hard time connecting with women. We see on, on the end, end part of the story, the second part of the story, that there's kind of like this divide between him and this girl, and they're like not even really communicating all that well. Yeah, he's just trying to impress her with something that he thinks is of noteworthiness that will, you know, say, hey, this is cool. Look how, you know, look at something I know that maybe you don't. So arguably they're on different sides, right? And we have probably one of the most important quotes of this story. The most important point is unity, I explained. Even the most beautifully designed item dies if it is out of balance with its surroundings. And I'm like, whoa, dude, Thanos would love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so the funny. story opens up right with with uh, juxtaposition what's said and what's not said right without the elephant something about the place seemed wrong it looked bigger than it needed to be blank and empty like some huge dehydrated beast from which the innards had been plucked so that was a very strong statement also dealing with unity right this this room seems bigger without the elephant in it it's almost like you need two sides you need unity and you'll notice he even has a lot of quotes when he's talking about kitchen design <laughs> needing unity and stuff like that. And, huh, we start to realize that there's a lot of opposites in this story, right? You had the man and the woman who didn't communicate at all. Well, was there ever anyone in the story that did communicate well? I would say just the keeper and the elephant. At least that's what we're led to believe. Huh. So the opposite is presented, and again, in twos. And not only that, you'll notice this story almost has... I would say it's not it's not chaptered, but there's two parts to it for sure, right? You got the opening mystery with the town and the elephant, and then the second part, you've got this date, this conversational date. You have two parts to the story. Yeah, so everything kind of comes in pairs. So there's a rule of two. The, the Sith and Jedi have taken <laughs> over. The elephant vanishes in this story, right? We need, we, but I mean, actually, joking aside, that is a good comparison too, because you, you'll notice throughout all of Star Wars, you could never just destroy one. You couldn't just destroy the light side and there would only be the dark side, right? The dark side would always come back. And as soon as the dark side came into control, what happens? The light side starts to rise up. You have you to have need both sides. Yeah. Unity. You need to have both sides is one way to look at this. So I think one of the things that Murakami may be asking us is what are we missing as people? What is the unity that perhaps people are striving for, that connection that people need? And he makes a lot of comments about pragmatism in here. But it's the say one thing but mean ten things. So what are people lacking? Okay. And maybe with all this pragmatism, we're lacking that, that, that other side that you were talking about earlier, the imagination, the excitement, the surrealism of, of, of connecting. And perhaps you'll see that that's so much of what the people of Japan are perhaps missing in their lives, right? You had this town that's like, okay, what do we need to do with this elephant? We want to build high-rise condos, <laughs> but they're lacking kind of the people side, right? And it's only once they keep the elephant around, right? Because without with that room, without the elephant, well, gosh, it just looks off and too big, right? But when the town lost the elephant, you know, like they went around searching for it, they needed it back. Because when they had the elephant, what did we see? 
right? Once we got rid of that pragmatism of, oh, we got to build and expand and become, you know, capitalistic to kind of keep like trying to collect money and such. Well, the opposite of that was when the town realized, well, we care for an elephant. And they wrote stories about the elephant. And they realized that this town has a lot of pride in caring for things. So maybe it's that emotional side, the opposite kind of of pragmatism that the people might be missing. Yeah, for me, there's kind of two things here with the unity, and one is communication, and we see the communication that is successful and unsuccessful. We see that the communication a lot of times Mm. is one way, and that when there's the two-way communication Mm -hmm. between the zookeeper and the elephant, things work out better for them. And then speaking of the zookeeper and the elephant, this elephant... I kind of felt that, you know, surreal, magical element to the story that perhaps that when they were caring for the elephant, that everything was more prosperous, they were doing better, and they were getting those materialistic, those capitalistic, you know, uh, successes. And then when it vanishes, I wonder what happened to the town. Did they lose their good luck charm? So it was very interesting to me yeah. that that I know I was trying to read maybe too much into it, but I did like that I was able to kind of do that with this fantasy element to the story. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something that we're, we're exploring, Haruki Murakami, he's a newer author to us. Something that I've read when I was doing some research on this author and such is that he doesn't write the traditional way a lot of Japanese authors do. He's very Western in his education. He's very Western in his upbringing. And a lot of his writing has a lot of Western elements to it. And I, I couldn't help but wonder, was The Elephant Vanishes also kind of a play on words with like the elephant in the room? Like what's the unheard thing of that we're not saying? And it's when that escapes, when it's out in the wild and we no longer have it. Is that when we finally have our realization, perhaps? Yeah, and I think that kind of brings it back to one of my last points is that when we think about what people are obsessed about and everybody's obsessed about this elephant and it becomes the focal point of the town, everybody kind of rallies together and things become more positive and the town is more successful. But then when the elephant vanishes mysteriously there is this big uproar but then it kind of dies out quickly and isn't that kind of true about us today where if something is in the news it's the big hoopla for you know that day or that week and then it just fades away from our memories Mm -hmm. so quickly i mean aliens can invade and then a month later it'd be like yep there's the alien ship up there and it would be you know what is the new (laughs) hot news story that you know everybody's obsessed with it just it, it goes to show how sometimes we are fickle as a people. And maybe that's the point he's trying to make is don't take the supernatural for granted. Elephant missing in Tokyo suburbs, right? However you assign meaning to that in the story, you know, I could see, I feel like we're even maybe moving towards here in our conversation towards maybe even a little bit of capitalism conversation too, of, uh, you know, the thing that vanishes might be the excitement and desire of that new thing, which is why we're constantly looking for the new thing as peoples. And while it's true of us, I've even heard that it's even stronger in Japan where there's like a little bit more of like the keeping up with the Joneses having to buy the newest uh, snowboard each year, for example, and stuff like that. So I don't know, like there's a lot of different ways that I think we could potentially interpret what's vanishing, what's coming away from us. The Tokyo suburbs is losing this. It also makes me wonder, though, the elephant in the room, the thing that shouldn't be talked about, what shouldn't they be discussing and talk about? I mean, that that has to be relevant, right? I mean, you don't pick the animal, the elephant, without thinking about that saying. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. There's there's so, so many layers right. to this very, very short piece. 
So guys, we will leave a link down below to check out other Haruki Murakami talks of ours. We'd like to once again thank our patrons for all the support that you do. Let's move into some of our subjective ratings and wrap up for this story. Crypto, what are you going to give this one? I was a little bit lower on this one in the beginning, but after our discussion, uh, after our talk here, I, I, I want to bump it up. I feel like that maybe I was a little bit, you know, poo-poo on it because I didn't understand the fantasy, surreal elements to it, maybe the point of the story. And I think that we've come to some really good conclusions here of the different interpretations that are possible through the story. Um, and I'm going to give this one a, a 7.5. I think that's fair. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go with an eight for this one. I really enjoyed it. I can fully see why this is probably one of his more popular short stories. Now, with that said, I've been told that a lot of people prefer his longer form, his novels. So I'm looking forward to checking out Kafka on the Shore with you next week to kind of finally round out our opinion on Murakami as an author. And is this a, a guy that we're going to dive more into? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited to find out. I don't want the elephant to vanish and this just be new and exciting and end. I want to kind of keep going with it. So if you're down for exploring more Murakami with us, make sure you hit that subscribe button as we post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Kangaroo.